Welcome to Mom and Doc Talk, a podcast for health-conscious parents where you get the perspective of a mom and a dad who's also a pediatrician and pediatric emergency physician. Instead of Googling your way through parenting and hoping for the best, get trusted guidance and be the empowered, savvy, and decisive parent you know you can be. Sleep easy when you follow advice tested by doctors and tried by moms and dads. Here are your mom and dad hosts, Dr. Christopher Haynes and Azure Sullivan. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Mom and Doc Talk. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about ways to prepare for an emergency department visit for your child. Um, I'm a little biased because I work there every day, but welcome, everyone. Hello. Azure here, by the way. One of the biggest questions I get or I think about and I would ask a parent is, are you prepared for an emergency department visit with your child? You know, it's been an unfortunate day. Your child fell while they're playing a sport and now they broke their wrist and they have a deformity of their forearm and wrist. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go and be transferred to another hospital? And I would say frequently parents are not prepared. And hopefully through this podcast, you can learn how to be safe and comfortable with your family experiences in this really stressful situation. I mean, especially during the summertime. You're on vacation. The least of what you expect happens and, and I got to go to the ER. It's always, it's always Murphy's Law. And hopefully some of the things that we talk about today will prepare you for that. And I've been practicing pediatric emergency medicine for over 20 years. I'm a parent. And I know, you know, it's one of my biggest fears when we get a trauma call that, you know, as a 17-year-old that it's my child. And I know and very empathetic to parents um, when they have to bring their child to the emergency department. And what should you bring with you? What do they need? Um, yeah, we're going to go through some really great, great questions to see if you're prepared for one of these unexpected events. Yeah, and hopefully you don't ever have to go through this, um, but hopefully we can go through, through some of the items that will make your life a lot easier. Number one, I'm going to say, is please, 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 if anything out of this podcast that you get, number one is please know your child's pediatrician and the pharmacy names and numbers for those. Very, very important. Dr. Chris is going to ask you, what's your pediatrician? And then you might go, uh, oh, uh. The, 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 it's a mix. <laughs> you might. I said, you might. Uh, I, abs- I absolutely will. You run into it and, tons, well, tons part, and tons. Part of it is a history and a physical exam. Those combined lead to my diagnosis. I want details. If you come in and you tell me my baby's had fever for five days and you stop there, I'm going to look at you sideways and say, um, I need more. And I typically will guide parents. You can't as- read minds? No, I cannot. Um, <laughs> I, w- I will go back and I will start with the parent. And I say, you know, it's really important for me to understand because things change. If five days of fever versus three days of fever versus two days of fever, I do different things. And not only that, there's usually something in the middle that they're missing. They're, they've left out. Oh, well, there was vomiting too, or there was this, or you know, something along the lines, which um, we'll get into about the detail later. That's my job to lead them through it. And I don't expect parents to be perfect historians and be able to give me a complete medical history, but really be prepared and really know your, also the past medical history, especially if you have a young baby. Um, I would also say if you're a dad, and you come to the emergency department, 
you also should know the history. Both parents and, and anybody caring for your child, maybe a babysitter, they should know at least the basics, allergies, medications they're taking. Have it written down. Have it on your phone. It's very, very easy. One of my, I would say not just me, my colleagues, all of us, biggest frustration is, you know, we have a dad who really trying to help out. He brings baby into the hospital, you know, and he doesn't have a clue to be very honest. And I've seen grandparents with the same problem. And next thing you know, they have mom on the phone. They can't get a hold of mom. And 15 minutes later, we need to come back and we need to repeat the history. And that's fine if it's an urgency, but in an emergency, that information can be the difference between life and death sometimes. We could give the wrong medication we, if you don't know allergies. Uh, we change what we do if we don't know birth history. So medical history is really, really important. And I know that you have ways that you do it and ways that you keep it for your child. What are some of those examples? Uh, a couple of ways. Uh, number one is I create all of a list of these items in multiple locations. One is I have a baby book for her that has all her immunizations or, you know, uh, her tracking her height, weight, all those wonderful things. And then, you know, I have it in my computer so I can print it out. And the reason why I have this sheet on my computer so that, oh, she's going to this, she's going with my dad, she's going with her aunt, she's, you know, um, we're going on vacation, I'm going to pack an extra sheet for if, you know, something happens. I have this ready to print to give to somebody. It has the closest hospital too, if it's like someone coming to babysit her at my home. Uh, I have any medication she's on. I have, you know, her current height and weight, if I if it's possible that I've put it in there and updated it that recent. I have, you know, her allergies. I have all of those things on this sheet ready to go so that anybody can access it, whether it be her, you know, um, my partner or, you know, somebody that is in care of her. Uh, or daycare, you know, giving that sheet to the daycare. They need to know all of the things. Either electronically uh, yeah, or they, And I think that they, they all require that information anyway. And it's it's part of being prepared and having that information readily available. Like Dr. Chris said, there's, there's tons of applications or notes that we can put on our phones these days that you can access the information or share it with somebody quickly. But if anybody is in care of your child, they should have this information. Whether they're going to use it or not, they should have it for just the instance that Dr. Chris just explained. Yeah, and I don't think people realize that that information can impact your child and impact the care that we give. We're blind. You might as well blindfold me and tie my hands behind my back if I can't, if I don't have any information. You know, especially if I have a child that's crying and doesn't talk. It's not like an adult where they can say their belly hurts. And, you know, we're very good at picking up cues in babies and through physical exam, but we really need your help in the process. So just having that medical history written down somewhere and making it accessible to multiple people, different environments, locations, that would be awesome. Yeah, I would add also, and I'll give you an example. I'll tell you a story. And months and months ago, I had a child that was a 17-year-old that was staying with his grandparents. And he got himself into a little trouble, a little bit of illicit substances and some alcohol. And he came in, I wouldn't call it a full-blown, people think of overdoses as a conscious. He was more than inebriated. He was drunk and he was vomiting. He was cursing. He was yelling. And the grandparents knew nothing about his history. And the parents were in, I believe, the Dominican for an anniversary trip, which is acceptable, but we couldn't get a hold of them either. 
So, you know, it's important to understand that we can treat in an emergency, but we will always call you. And I think the parents were shocked that they had a physician calling them at 1130, 12 o'clock at night on a Friday night while they're in the Dominican to get consent. I can't examine your child in a non-emergency situation without your consent. It can be considered assault. So it's really important that you come to the emergency department with your child, if at all possible, or you have someone that's a guardian that can come with them. And, you know, in a standpoint of schools and sometimes sports, you give consent or implied consent to them and you may have paperwork that they bring with them. Um, so you were talking about daycare, for instance, but we will call you to get consent. It may not be me. It may be our registrar. It may be one of our nurses. And we will continue calling frequently until we reach you because we need that information. And we will ask you to come to the emergency department. Um, if, you know, even if it's a minor illness, we need you to be there. Now, what if you have someone, you know, needs immediate attention, Dr. Chris? We're going to do everything to take care of your child. And that has to do with something called EMTALA. And EMTALA stands for the Emergency Treatment and Labor Act. And it's from, I believe, the 1970s. We're required to stabilize anyone. And regardless if you're there, and there are many times where, you know, if a child were to get hit by a car, riding a bicycle, you know, a teenager or a grade school child, parents aren't there. We have to get a hold of parents. Police may be calling parents. We are going to do everything to stabilize your child. So don't be in fear that we're not going to take care of your child. But if your child's stable and comes in by ambulance with a runny nose at midnight with grandma and there's really no consent. I've had grandmothers get very angry um, because they believe that they're the guardian, but they're not the biological guardian. They can't sign. It's the parent that can sign. And you can. there are some documents that you can do before you leave for vacation. Um, certainly talk to your pediatrician. There, you could talk to a lawyer. They could, they could put them together for you as well. Um, but th those are the things you need to think about with your child. We're going to call you and we're going to need consent for treatment. Worst case scenario, you don't do any of those things. Have your phone on and be accessible. Absolutely. We'll call you in, in a heartbeat and we will let you know what's going on and we'll do everything we can. And most times, 99.999% of the time, I'm going to call you and say, you know, your child's in our emergency department. They're stable. They're talking to me. Um, please come in as fast as you possibly can, but don't hurt yourself coming in. Uh, we've had parents that have gotten into accidents driving like crazy people into the emergency department when they don't have to. And with that being said, you go into the emergency room and you're missing a phone charger, you're missing this, you forgot that, and now you're kind of stranded in an ER. You don't know how long you're waiting. You don't know how long you're going to be there. You don't know what the diagnosis is. So there are some other things that you should think about for the must-haves prior to an emergency visit that you should bring with you or have on the side or in a bag, maybe in your car, something to kind of give you that little bit of that go bag, I'll call it. Yeah, I would start with, I'm going to correct you and say it's not an emergency room. It's an emergency department. Uh, I knew he was going to that's, say that. That's an ER I thing. I knew he was going we, to say we that. We all get our backup every time we hear emergency room. Um, it's so technically the room. It's multiple rooms. It's a department. <laughs> the room that we're in, we get into. If you want it to be an emergency department, that's perfectly fine. ER, it's it's a- yeah. Can we call it the emergency department room? No, that's even that's even worse. <laughs> that's, like, that's like a- 12 year old month old that you're oh, mixing geez. month old child all right. so i would you know one of the biggest things that we see all the time is 
can I get a phone charging cord? Can you just charge my phone for five, ten minutes? No, no, no. no. They want it. They want the cord. Oh. And, and do you have extra cords? And many ERs do actually keep extra cords, but what happens is you. I, I ran a large urban pediatric emergency department, and we actually bought cords because nurses would give them out, never get them back. That'd be and a great donation item we, we did for the few, hospital. I never a, even thought about that. But what happens is they disappear. Yeah, they do. You're not going to get it back. Next thing you know, so I remember, I think several years from where I'm working now, there were 10 cords. They're all gone. Every one of them's gone. And we don't have them. We're not required to supply them. So I would say, you know, just like anything, keep your phone charged. Or just remember a lot of phone numbers for that. That, do we have pay phones at the hospital? No, Does there... <laughs> no, we do not. We have dial phones. Yeah, remember phone uh, numbers, but, if at the worst. You know, a power, a phone charger, power bank really, really is a huge deal. Definitely have it with you. It should be part of a go bag if you're going to think your child may be going to the emergency department. I have a charger in my car. I have one in my bedroom. I have one in my living room. I have one for guests. I have one, you know another place you know I, it's like kind of chapstick i have one in a lot of many many locations i would also add in addition to the charger it's always good to have a payment method and i would say multiple payment methods uh credit card debit card always some cash and you may have to pay a copay um typically it's deferred if you don't have it and they'll bill you later um, but they're going to ask you and the longer you have to stay Frequently, there are meals that your child will get if they're able to eat, but you may want to go to a snack shop or go to the cafeteria. And, you know, typically parents don't always get meals depending on the hospital. Does Uber deliver to hospitals? They absolutely do. Wow. Okay. So um, I had a mom come out last night and ask where Uber Eats delivers. And we told them at the front door. I was going to say, this is going to be like a new area of a hospital, like airport has it for, like it says, the the app rides. They're going to have the app food at the a, hospital. Just a little, it's a little shelf that all the food gets delivered <clears throat> on, just like the uh, local convenience stores. And, you know, I think that... Um, many, many of the more innovative hospitals will allow parents to order meals with their child, but having that cash is really, really important. And, you know, look, I can go to my cafeteria tomorrow and they say a credit card's not working and you're up the creek if you don't have cash. Um, so, you know, most hospitals do have ATMs, but it's a good habit to get into as part of your go bag to come to an emergency department or come to a hospital is to have that available. I like to keep like a stash of change in my car and I hide it. Uh, worst case scenario, I, I run into a very uh, a situation where I have to park my car and I have to pay a lot of money for it. I, I'm like, oh, because I never carry cash on me. So I always like keep a little bag of change in my car. So I, on the other hand, don't do that. And the reason I don't do that is I've worked in an urban environment for many years and my car will be destroyed. That that Those coins will be broken into and be taken. What did, no, it's hidden. It doesn't you matter. You hide it. It doesn't matter. It'll, how do you, it'll, how do you break it, into the car if you I'm don't know what's there? You, I, your car will be So then basically into. you're saying that's the same likelihood of someone not having change in their car then. Exactly. So it really doesn't matter. Okay. I'll, I'll agree with you. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the other items. What are what are things that you'd recommend? And I'll kind of say whether I agree, disagree um, to bring to the emergency department with your child in that go bag. Maybe the, a, a stuffed animal, like a small stuffed animal. If you, you have a really young child or a blanket, something that they're not like, this is my very favorite one, but something that can really help them in a time of that go bag. You have a little stuffed animal and they can hold on to something and it really consoles them. Let's talk a little bit about timing in the emergency department and how long it takes to get studies back. And ERs are pretty quick. 
much faster than your primary care doctor. We have the ability to do labs on site, MRIs, CAT scans. Typically, we in in most, I would say, more modern emergency departments, on the wall, it'll tell you how long it's going to take to get tests back. Typically, CAT scan is 90 to 120 minutes to get back, 60 minutes to 90 minutes to get labs back. And think about it. You're in an emergency department. Many of these ERs are trauma centers. And I tell parents all the time, There's you hear overhead trauma, your child may be delayed. And it ties into some of these comfort items. Have things that will keep your child occupied. A small pillow. Yeah. Pillows, pillows are key. And pillows are... It's, it's almost, they're like gold in an emergency department. They also disappear. I, I don't know where they go and no one knows where they go. Um, you can get them more often in a pediatric emergency department. It's very uncommon in an adult ER to have a pillow. And I don't know why. I don't know whether it's, you know, you're not staying at the St. Regis. Um, I do believe that some hospitals should up their game when it comes to linens and pillows and things like that. But certainly the other thing that's really important is extra clothes. Um, it's really important if your child gets admitted to the hospital, you know, pajamas, toothbrush, and potentially if your child vomits on themselves, we don't keep extra clothes for your child. We may have a small set of scrubs that we can give your child, but we don't really have clothes. If your child's bleeding, um, they may get, have a wound that needs to be irrigated. It may get wet. So bringing an extra pair of clothes in that go bag is really, really important. Now we're probably thinking snacks and drinks are another one for the parent and why I'm going to let Dr. Chris answer why we're not going to let kids just snack and eat and drink while they're in the emergency department right away. Yeah, I would say snacks and drinks are fine. Please, 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 and I will say it 500 times, do not feed your child on the way to the emergency department or feed them in the waiting room or feed them in a room. Please wait. And it it makes it very difficult sometimes, you know, I I walked into an exam room last night and a child just had peanut M&Ms. I can't see the back of their throat. It's covered in chocolate peanut M&Ms. I don't know whether they have strep throat. I don't know whether they don't. I had to come back 20 minutes later after they drank something. And I think the bigger issue is your child has a potential abdominal problem and needs to be nothing by mouth because they might need an operating room or has a issue that might need surgery. For instance, a broken arm. We may need to sedate them and they need to have, it puts them at higher risk with things in their stomach. So wait till you get there and ask us if you can feed your child. It's not a bad thing to bring snacks and and treats and things like that. I would also add, bring some parent comfort items as well. Uh, Crossword puzzle book, something to read or a game. Yeah, whatever. Exactly. And then it goes back to the phone charger again. Yeah, if you, you know, don't have it then. <laughs> you know, I just I just played um, you know, a game for two hours while I was waiting and I, I can't call for a ride home. Um, I would also add, you know, communicate with your family. If you call an ambulance to come to the emergency department, the ambulance is not taking you home. Um, it doesn't work that way. So you will need a ride home. And we have parents that are stranded in an emergency department for five, six hours. Um, they've called, they've been evaluated an hour later, they're ready to go home and they can't get a hold of anybody to get home. Uh, many places do do taxi vouchers and other things, but that's, I would say, diminished over time, less and less where you can get that home. You can certainly call Uber, but you need your phone to do that. But you also need a car seat depending on how old your child is. Correct. And it becomes extremely challenging. And, you know, we don't usually give out car seats. Some places do for, for young babies, um, but something to think about when you come in. I would also add that 
be calm and breathe. I frequently see parents very, very worked up. Um, I had a parent last night that their child was perfectly well. They were through a very traumatic experience. We understand that they went through that. Don't take it out on the people around you. Um, we're here to help you. Um, I understand it's difficult seeing your child scared, sick, injured. Uh, we understand. But you being visibly upset, worse, hysterical, screaming, demanding, um, it doesn't help your child. It actually makes it worse. I always tell parents that your child reads you. They know when you're upset and they're going to become more upset when you do it. And that also makes it difficult for us as healthcare providers. And we've all been yelled at. We've been screamed at. We've had upset parents. Um, you having a meltdown is not going to make things go faster. It doesn't streamline care. It doesn't really allow us to deliver the best care. You should be treated respectfully and we should be re treated respectfully Yes, definitely well. be nice to your people taking care of your kid. And we should be nice to you as well. Just like, I mean, you don't really want to aggravate the person carrying your food either you know you got a restaurant you're like okay people handling your food you generally don't want to anger kind of the same thing not in the same situation but really take care of your people that are taking care of your child it, it should go both ways we should be communicating with you in a respectful fashion and vice versa and there's never really any reason to be yelling at us and if you think about let's talk about airlines right how many screaming angry people are in airlines it's actually been shown to be an increasing in a hospital setting as well. So treat everyone with respect. And, you know, what is your job as a parent? It's to be supportive for your child and while being focused and becoming a team member with that medical team. And we want the appropriate questions. It helps really develop a mutual respect. Be calm. Be present for your child. Or at the minimum, try. I mean, if you're calm and collected, you can think clearer. You can ask the proper questions, get answers, and you can also help the physician or help the nurses a lot better by staying calm and cool and um, also stabilizing your child. You know, if they're trying to insert an IV into their arm and you're really relaxed, your child's paying attention to you, they're not really focusing on what's going in their arm as much. If you're hysterical and fighting back or angry there's going to be it's it's much harder to keep your child relaxed and calm and making them as uh, you know as collected as possible yeah i would also ask everyone that's listening if they go to an emergency department to understand that you're there's a lot behind the curtain that you're not seeing you know there's the front door which is the waiting room. And waiting rooms have been atrocious over the last several months with COVID and I would say probably the last several years. However, understand that there's a back door. Also understand that we take care of the sickest first. So when your child is there for a runny nose and we have a child that just got run over by a car, you may wait a while. And we are doing our best. We're trying to get you through. We don't want anyone to wait in any circumstance. I will never forget. I had, was at a situation in an urban emergency department where we had six gunshots. And we tried to clear our ER. There was waits of five, six hours of people once they had been in the waiting room. And I remember walking into a mom and getting screamed at. And her child was there for a stubbed toe. And I can't fathom that. And... I just go back and I would ask you to understand that we are trying to help you. We didn't go into this to be yelled at. We went into it to provide the best care and to treat you how we want to be treated. And 
we're never trying to hurt your child. We're trying to help. And we're not going to let something happen to your child, especially when they have a non-urgent illness or injury. And part of all of that respect and working with the physicians and the nurses, part of that is you know, not going on Dr. Google before you go to the ER while you're in the emergency department beforehand. The ER? <laughs> the ER. And figuring out and diagnosing your child yourself and then coming in and saying, well, my child has this, I need this, because that's not how it works. And that's part of being respectful to the staff and the people evaluating your child. Yeah, I would add one of the main reasons we started Kids Health Secrets was exactly this. And we were frustrated by parents not having the information they needed and really not having easy to read information and pediatricians not providing that information, not because they don't want to, but because they don't have the time to do it. And, you know, I think what's really interesting about Dr. Google is that the majority of the information may not even be true. And, you know, I went back and looked recently and I, even the academic sites, not all the information is true because they've not updated it. So, you know, do we want you to participate? Do we want you to be part of the team? Absolutely. Do I recommend any parent go on Google and look up their child's illness? Probably not. Um, it can lead to excessive workup. It can lead to excessive testing. And, you know, you go in and you Google pediatric chest pain, you're going to get adult stuff most of the time. And it's not really going to help. It's going to cause anxiety. It's going to cause stress. And trust the doctors that are there. Trust the people that the nurses that are there. We are doing what's best for your child. And we will go help you find that information as needed. We will give you that information. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, part of that is also just being honest with your child, too, when you're in the emergency department. And when, when I say that, I mean, you know, if they say, well, is this going to hurt? You say, yeah, a little. Um, and then think maybe of a time that they had a similar pain that went away fast and explain that to them. I mean, if they're really little, try um, – you know, soothing them, talking them through it, like, you know, you would normally, but also if they're, they're old enough to kind of understand, you know, some sensation, local sensations, you know, if they're trying to put a needle in and kind of pinch around the area and kind of confuse them, make them think that you're playing a game, but, you know, being honest with them about what, what's about to happen most of the time will help them. I would add, you know, I want to put a plug in for some of my colleagues, and there's a profession called child life. Um, this is a college degree where they get trained in how to take kids through that emergency department process or intensive care unit process. This is what they do every day. And they have lots of tools, and most emergency physicians, at least pediatric and pediatric emergency physicians have been trained in this. So we'll go through distraction. We'll use parents to help hold a phone in front of a child when we're doing a laceration. But be honest. And by not telling them the truth, it probably delays it and it may make it a little bit worse. I would add one of the things I hear a lot is, you know, it, it hurts Johnny, but we'll get you a hamburger when you're done. Um, this doesn't really help. It's not beneficial and it can lead to behaviors that you really don't want to start with your child and lead to long-term consequences. So I would say the other thing that's really important is try to stay with your child as much as possible. And 
many, and this has been around for a while, pediatric and adult ERs have a policy that allow parents to stay with your child. And further, the American Academy of Pediatric endorses what's called parental present during visits, during procedures, even some very invasive procedures. Um, we used to allow parents in our resuscitation bay during a cardiac arrest. We found outcomes were better. Um, even with the death of a child. And we were all trained in it. We took parents through it. And it's really important because you can help that child in combination with that child life staff or the nurses through a procedure better. And then I would say, you know, one of the other big things from my standpoint is don't be afraid to ask questions, seek clarifications, be an advocate for your child. Um, we're not perfect. Um, I remember a child months ago where I ordered a splint on their left leg and my tech put it on the right leg and I didn't recognize it. He didn't recognize it. the parents said to me, you know, is that on the right leg? I don't think he hurt that leg. And yeah, we, we made a mistake and we fixed it. And if the parent hadn't asked, there would have been a problem. So ask those questions, talk to the doctor, do them respectfully. And if you don't understand something, ask us to explain. We all love to teach. And we love to share the knowledge that we have. One of my old bosses said that physicians and healthcare providers have a lot of intellectual property and they're not really good at sharing it. Um, I want to end with talking about emergency departments and that not all emergency departments are the same. Emergency departments all have emergency physicians, but not all emergency departments have physicians who have trained or specialized in pediatrics. It's really important to know your area. You talked earlier about knowing the local hospitals on your checklist. Um, You're making sure they have a pediatric unit. Yeah, and, and look, if there's not one close to you, and there's many people in the U.S. that may not have a pediatric emergency department. I have colleagues out in Kansas and the Midwest that, you know, there's a four-hour transport to the nearest children's hospital. So you may need to go into an adult emergency department. But understand also that most emergency physicians do three years of training, mostly in emergency medicine, mixed with several months of pediatric care versus a pediatric emergency physician that does three years of pediatrics followed by three years of pediatric emergency medicine. And adult docs are great. They can pinch in and deal with a very sick kid and they're really good at resuscitation. But most adult emergency department physicians would admit they'd rather have trained pediatric physician, emergency physicians take care of their child. And, you know, some emergency departments will hire pediatricians. They're still not pediatric emergency physicians. And I would recommend reaching out to the hospitals in your area to find out what kind of training those doctors have. And then lastly, I would say you're better off with a child in a pediatric emergency department than in urgent care. Most urgent cares, um, besides um, what's called PM pediatrics, which is on the East Coast, do not provide pediatric care. Um, in, on a daily basis. They provide adult and pediatric care. And that may be great for minor illnesses, but at times they may not be prepared to take care of pediatric illnesses or injury. And you can also use your sources, you know, of other parents have been to the hospitals nearby, your friends, uh, talk to people online. Pediatrician. Talk to your pediatrician. They are the best source. And, you know, just reach out and make phone calls. Those are the best ways. Absolutely. And we hope tonight that we went through how to really prepare, how to kind of put a go bag together for coming to the emergency department. 
or at least knowing what to expect. And no, and no offense, hopefully I don't see you there, and hopefully you don't need an emergency <laughs> department. Um, I always tell parents it's great to meet you, but I hope I don't see you again. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I see you in the supermarket and not in the emergency department. We None of us want to be there, including with my children. Um, it's not where you want to be on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon. You want to be enjoying your family and enjoying your kids. Um, I would also say... If you have additional questions, please message us, info at blueemeraldwellness.com. Look into our classes online. If you like our podcasts, follow us, um, download them. Please rate us. We love feedback. And as we've talked about before, we have online classes for parents. We also do parent coaching. And you can check out our website at www.bloomerallwellness.com and follow us on social media. Yes, it was a pleasure. And uh, until the next podcast, have a great rest of your day. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining our mom and doc talk. Did any questions come up while you were listening? Share your questions with Dr. Christopher and Azure by visiting www.blueemeraldwellness.com. You can also connect with them on Instagram at wearekidshealthsecrets. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes or Spotify so we can continue answering your most pressing kids' health and parenting questions. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode of Mom and Doc Talk. The content of this podcast, the opinions and information provided by the co-host and guests are for educational purposes only and should not replace the care provided by your child's physician. If you or your child is ill or having an emergency, please call 911 or seek care immediately.